Do you know that you live in a time of great opportunity to share the gospel with Muslims? Listen to this from a gospel worker named Al-Fadi. They are coming in scores for a variety of reasons. Refugees, immigration, asylum seekers, international students. And it's a sh real shame for us to ignore this opportunity. So it's not by accident that you have a neighbor who's a Muslim. God is not scratching his head and saying, oh man, I, I shouldn't have really brought him here. I don't know why I did that. No, he has a ministry for them. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help, right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in the studio in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, with a man we're calling Al-Fadi. He is a Christian, and he is from the nation of Saudi Arabia, we're going to hear that story, how he came to Christ, and we're going to talk about what God is doing in the Middle East and among Muslims. Al-Fadi, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you, my brother. I'm really honored and humbled by this invitation. Tell me your story. How did a Muslim in Saudi Arabia come to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Muslims uh, tell me it's impossible that you are a Muslim in Saudi and you're claiming <laughs> to be a follower of Jesus now because no Muslim in Saudi would leave Islam. And that's really how my story began. I was born and raised in Saudi. Saudi is the heartland of Islam. I lived actually in Jeddah, which is about an hour drive from Mecca, uh, the, the center for the Islamic world. They face it and their prayers and everything else. And obviously, uh, you are born a Muslim. You don't make a decision to follow Islam. You're born into it. And um, I felt, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, so blessed spiritually that I was born into the religion that God approved for humanity, for mankind. You know, Islam presents itself as the final revelation from God and the final religion. And therefore, I never really questioned the teaching of Islam. I knew about Jesus, at least the Islamic version of Jesus. I knew about Christianity as a religion of the past, not a relationship with with the Savior. And therefore, at least the, the bulk of my youth, I never questioned my faith or even wanted to know more about what's out there. Uh, you can say I was one of those more devout Muslims. Frankly, not all Muslims you're going to meet could be classified as devout. And even in Saudi, you know, they take it for granted. That's their identity. They're pleased with the fact that they can pray and fast and do things. And God will judge him on Judgment Day based on that. When you say you were devout, what does that mean? You read the Quran, you prayed five times every day? It means I was really following with strict rules every prayer, mm -hmm. every extra prayer, fasting, Ramadan and beyond Ramadan. And uh, yes, uh, also knowing the Quran and knowing the commentaries on the Quran and knowing how to read it appropriately and pronounce it. So all of that, definitely, that's the depth of uh, my involvement. And then let me ask a follow-up question. Among the world's Muslims, what percentage, and obviously this is somewhat of an estimate, what percentage are devout like that? They're really serious about it. They read the Quran. They take it seriously. They do the fast. And what percentage are, like you said, it's their identity. Hey, you know, my dad was a Muslim, so of course I'm a Muslim. Absolutely. There's about 1.7 billion Muslims in the world. 
the two-third of them actually in Asia-Pacific don't even speak Arabic as their mother tongue. So they're, right there, you've lost two-third already. Right. They, don't, they can't don't have the access to the, the, the primary sources. But it's a rule of thumb, I tell people, 5% fairly could be classified as devout. Mm-hmm. But that's a large number. Right. I mean, we're talking about uh, 80 to 90 million anyway. Uh, so I'm not discounting the number. But look around. I mean, it's only the devout, the minority, are the ones who have been actually, unfortunately, causing all of what we are encountering globally. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were a young man. You were a devout in your faith. What happened? I began to really dabble with this idea of martyrdom. Uh, I was reading about jihad and the reward for the martyrs and 72 versions. And the Quran, of course, is filled with descriptions of heaven. And, and, and the hadith, the sayings of the prophets, is even given more rewards towards those who died as martyrs. And, and it was during the 70s when I began to really get fascinated by that idea. But nothing was happening, at least nothing to the magnitude we see today. But in 1979, which is, I tell people, it's a pivotal year that changed history as we know it today. One of the events that took place, of course, is uh, the rise of the Ayatollah Khomeini and uh, the Islamic, uh, basically, revolution in Iran, which meant that now you have an arch rivalry between the Shia dynasty and the Sunni dynasty. That in itself rattled, you know, Sunnis like myself. And you always look at the Shia as oh, they were not followers of the true Islam. At least that's what we would Mm -hmm. be brought up to believe. But the most uh, important event that caused me to seek martyrdom was the invasion of the Soviets of Afghanistan. And a number of Muslim, young Muslim, uh, basically youth, left their countries, including from Saudi. One of those was Osama bin Laden, by the way, whom I knew his cousins. Uh, They were in my school. And obviously, he's older than me, but they told me that he left. He went there by the blessing, by the way, of the government and many other governments, because the cause was to go and fight the communists, obviously. And uh, they formed a band of brothers called the Mujahideen, the fighters for God. And I really wanted to go and fight and die as a martyr. And now I wanted to seek my mother's permission and my father's permission and didn't tell him I want to go and die. I said, oh, I want to go and earn good deeds. You know, I mean, this is like the ultimate good deed. And of course, my mother is like over my dead body. That ain't going to (laughs) happen. And I'm thankful the Lord used my mother who doesn't know him to stop me from such a foolish idea. And you can say that was mile marker number one towards my knowledge of Christ. So I kept going with my schooling. And after that, I attended an Islamic university in Mecca. And I wanted to specialize in Sharia. But for some reason, I changed my mind about the major. And that was mile marker number two. Because of that decision, I ended up doing engineering. And when I graduated with my bachelor degree in engineering, my father really encouraged me hard to seek graduate degree abroad, either in Europe or in the U.S. And I applied and I got accepted at the U.S., And I came basically to one of the universities in the U.S. and began to pursue my graduate degree in engineering. And it was then that the Lord used the most unthinkable to draw me to know him more. I've been studying English most of my life. I felt no need whatsoever to at least uh, have a conversational partner. You know, many of these international students who do not speak English will need someone to help them with that. But the struggle that I had outside of the classroom was the use of idioms, appropriate use of idioms. 
I mean, people will say, what's up? I will look up right away. I'm like, what is up? Why does everybody ask me about what is up? I mean, I, I didn't know. And sometimes you hear things like, oh, don't open a can of warm. I don't even have a can in my hand, you know? They want to pick your brain and pull your leg. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You know, I'm, I'm lost. So I went to my teacher. She's like, well, you really need to work hard at building a connection with Americans. That's the only way you're going to survive it. I said, okay, so can you give me an advice? What can I do to expedite it? She said, well, you know what? You're at a major university here. Every university in the U.S. usually have a campus, basically, organization specialized in international student relations. They can connect you with Americans. I didn't know those were Christian organizations, by the way. So I went and I signed up with one of them. And they ended up connecting me with a family. Now, here's the thing. Myself and most, if not all Muslims... They have this presupposition, everyone in the West is born Christian. The idea of born-again Christian never, ever occurred to us. You don't hear about it. You've never studied it. But when I met this family, I'm thinking they're just Christian like everybody else until the born-again discussion began to open up. And that's when I got confused. What do you mean born-again? And they made a decision to follow Jesus. Well, I thought you are Christian already. You know, isn't Jesus a prophet for you? No, he's more than a prophet. And that led to one discussion after the other. You can tell their character, their uh, nature is much different than the others outside of uh, that sphere. They invited me to my first Thanksgiving meal. I met their parents. I met their neighbors. I met their church friends. They're all different. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? You know? And uh, the Lord just used that to plant the seed. Now, I didn't really think at that time that, oh, wow, I'm going to leave Islam because of this. I was just curious as to why was I not taught things like this. You clearly understood they were different from the average American. That's correct. So That's you correct. you recognize very clearly these people are different. What What's the difference? Why are they that way? Absolutely, brother. And here, here is the fundamental question that I ask myself. As a Muslim, I grew up believing that Christianity is corrupt and it's immoral, and their Bible is corrupt and is no good. I said to myself, if that's true, then how come these families are the most wonderful people I've ever met? Where did they learn these values from? It's a simple question to ask. I mean, I needed to know the foundation for it. Nevertheless, I changed my major. I ended up moving from that town, going to another campus. And then I ended up meeting a family that just moved from a different state. And God basically placed that family strategically in my life. A seed was planted already. And now I'm trying to compare and contrast. And I can tell this new family is exactly a spitting image of the first family that I met. And I began to ask, why are you different? What's wrong with you? Now, in your mind, you're thinking, I'm going to figure this out so that I can share Islam with them. And, that is correct. And bring them to, to the true faith? That is still the thinking. Okay. You know, it's like, I want to be like more of an effective evangelist, okay. if I may use this term, you know. <laughs> uh, but God, of course, was probably laughing at me. I was like, yeah, bring it on. No problem. And I began to, uh, in, you know, interact with this family. I want to share about Islam. And I was blunt. I would tell them, your Bible is corrupt. Jesus was never crucified. You elevated a man to be a God. And they will like smile and listen to me. And then they will flip the pages of the scripture and begin to share with me. Every time they shared something from the word of God, more seeds were being planted. And I can see that they're standing on solid foundation. And that in and of itself touched me. 
And the family invited me a couple of times to go to church with them. And I finally accepted in May of 2001. And uh, September 11 happened that year. When September 11 happened, I was nervous about going to church, didn't know how people would react. Mostly everybody knew I was still a Muslim. But uh, the, the family really encouraged me to go and not to be afraid and to see the love of Christ through this. And indeed, I went there and I heard a message that weekend from the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecuted you. And that was the nail that sealed the coffin for me. It was November of that year when I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And immediately, I went through spiritual warfare and persecution. I lost my family immediately. I ended up being distracted, caused me to lose my job. After September 11, the economy wasn't doing well and companies were laying off. And I guess I gave them just that excuse. And losing your income caused you to lose a lot of things, you know. And it's almost like a process of humbleness and humiliation at the same time. And somebody told me at that very time when this happened, uh, who was a believer, born-again believer, says, I think God has a ministry for you. And quite frankly, I, I couldn't really fathom what this person was saying. I said, you know, I, I wish he's walking in my shoes. I wonder if he will be able to tell me that if he is in my shoes. But looking back now, I am so thankful that God prophetically spoke through the mouth of this person because indeed, I can see that God was prepping me for a larger task. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Al-Fadi. He is a Christian from Saudi Arabia. He's been sharing how he came to faith in Christ. You, you talked about being in church and hearing the gospel preached. At what point did you start reading the Bible, either to prove it wrong or genuinely questioning, hey, what does this really say? Well, I mean, I didn't really read it much before. Uh, I was just going by whatever objections I'm being told. And then somebody gifted me an NIV copy before I went to church, and I flipped through it. I just didn't know how what to make out of it. Nevertheless, after I accepted Christ, I really appreciated the senior pastor. I met with him, and he invited me to the men's group. And he even showed me how to read the Bible, how to uh, decipher when somebody says, Matthew, here is what it means to go to this book, Matthew 5, this is the chapter. And he even sat next to me and taught me a couple of times during a couple of lessons. And, and I started to read it. But, and then I felt the need to really dig deeper. So I began to get plugged into small groups, more than one group a week. And I began to do a one-on-one. -on -one. one of the members of the church took it upon himself to really teach me using a book that is called one-on-one, -on -one, actually, that was put together by a physician who was a believer in Christ, and that was his calling to disciple people. And this is how I began to engage with the Word of God. You talked about the sermon after 9-11, a sermon about love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Those are foreign concepts in Islam. That is correct. So how, as a Muslim, hearing that, did you see that as weakness? Oh, wow, mm, these Christians, yeah. they forgive people. Not at all. I, I actually, it began to make sense to me. I said, now I understand why that first family loved me the way they do. They probably thought I was an enemy of Christianity, but they were kind enough to allow me to their home. They didn't fear. They trusted in God. Uh, and why this second family did this. And why all these Christians love me the way they are. And then I'm an engineer, by the way, so to me it's logical. Uh -huh. I said, okay, I was taught all of my life that the God of Islam is the God of the Bible. If that's the case, then something drastically went wrong with this God 
over the course of 600 years, between the time of Christ and the time of the rise of Islam. Why would he change his message from love to hate? One is true and one is wrong. And I have to make that choice. And it was very clear that it is Christ and Christ alone. We're talking today on Voices of Martyrs Radio with Al-Fadi, a believer from Saudi Arabia. So how did you let your family back in Saudi in on this radical change in your life? And what was their response? Well, I let him know in a very unique way. Uh, obviously, the first reaction, I chickened out. Uh, here's I am, a guy that I'm uh, willing to take on anybody, by the way, but um, I was afraid and concerned and uh, what's, what the reaction would be. And then a, a buddy of mine, who uh, a former Muslim from North Africa, had a, a, a very popular Arabic satellite program and uh, called Daring Question. And he invited me to sh- come to his show and share my testimony. Initially, I really didn't want to do this. But I accepted the invitation, and it was there where I not only shared with my family, I broadcast it to the entire Middle East. Oh, my. And I went down (laughs) with a grand, basically, rejection. Uh, And that's how we went. But here's something special about that. It was that week that Sister Fatima Muteri, I received news that she accepted Christ, and there was another Saudi believer who, by the way, uh, months later, in August of 2008, I received the news that her pa- father and brother killed her. I realized immediately, because of her persecution, that this is serious. This is not a joking matter. And people going to watch you and listen to you. And there is a lot of seekers out there that one way or another, they're going to trust the information you're sharing. And they may not have an access to the Bible, but because of their doubt, they're going to make a confession of faith, trusting. So how did your family respond when they saw this broadcast of not good? What? That's our son. He what? He's a Christian? It's an honor and shame culture. I shamed him. My brother went after me and continues to seek uh, finding me. My family, my mother and sisters still do not like to talk to me. At least don't like to talk to me as the son that I used to be. I am the oldest in my family, but I can assure you I am nowhere treated as the oldest anymore. I mean, I'm nobody uh, in their life. And uh, unfortunately, that's the way the structure is, the social structure is. And I, I appreciate that. I understand that. I'm not alone who dealt with this. My Lord Jesus Christ dealt with his own family, and uh, it's an honor and shame culture, and I understand how things work. So tell me a little bit about your ministry today, because you are reaching back into the Middle East to people just like you who are devout Muslims. Talk about what you're doing today. I can summarize my ministry in one word, teaching. I am all about teaching, teaching the church, teaching missionaries, teaching seekers and teaching believers. And I do it in a variety of ways. In person, I get invitations to go to churches, to go to conferences. Sometimes I go to academic arenas uh, like uh, seminaries and others to train also people. And I do it via media, podcast. I have my own podcast called Let Us Reason. I have my own videos that I also uh, produce uh, directly without association or affiliation with any entities because I want to make sure that I have the freedom of broadcasting them everywhere. I do it in my Saudi dress. I speak sometimes in my Saudi tongue in Arabic or the classical Arabic, and I do it oftentimes in English because I have a heart for the non-Arab speaking people as well who are Muslims. And I do it via satellite programming. And finally, I do some specialty works translations of scripture, 
I listen, I went to seminary and I told the Lord, what what is the point of learning Greek and, and Hebrew, Lord? I mean, what am I supposed to do with this? And boy, does the Lord answer immediately. I'm connected with Bible translators now, and I use the Hebrew or the Greek to translate into my mother tongue or counsel really, uh, you know, uh, human rights lawyers in, in areas related to uh, persecution or in areas related to asylum seekers and things like that. And tell us the website for your ministry, because we want people to go and learn more. Yeah, I have a, a lot of presence on, online. So the main website is sirainternational.com and Sira with a C as in Charlie. C-I-R-A international.com. Of course, people can find me on YouTube. I have my own channel on YouTube called Sira International. That's where they find both the Arabic and the English. And uh, Facebook is another wonderful platform that we use. And of course, they can find me under my own personal page, alfadi.sira, or my ministry page, Sira International. These are few of the areas where people can connect. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Al-Fadi. He is a Christian believer from the country of Saudi Arabia. Al-Fadi, as we finish up, many of our listeners will have Muslim co-workers or friends or classmates. And I think the the natural human Christian response is, I'm a little intimidated to talk to my Muslim friend about Christ. He might get mad. He, I might not have the answers to all of his questions. There's all these things that could go wrong. Coach us about that, uh, about having those conversations and striking up those conversations. Absolutely. I mean, you're going to encounter Muslims everywhere these days. I mean, they are coming in scores for a variety of reasons. Refugees, immigration, asylum seekers, international students. And it's a sh- real shame for us to ignore this opportunity. In Acts 17, 26 and 27, it says that the God who made the world and everything that is in it, basically, who does not really dwell in temples made by human hands, who doesn't need us, made all of us from one man, that's Adam. So we're all related. These are our relatives, blood relatives. And second of all, he allotted the times and the boundaries of their dwelling places. So it's not by accident that you have a neighbor who's a Muslim. God is not scratching his head and saying, oh man, I, I shouldn't have really brought him here. I don't know why I did that. No, he has a ministry for them. Verse 27 tells us, so that they may seek God in hope that they will reach out to him and find him. We have to be at the center of that. Reaching out meaning that they're like spiritual blindness needing someone to lead them to the light. And that's what our ministry is all about. So, yes, I understand not all of us have this boldness to share. But you know what? Always pray. What's wrong with praying? You can pray for the person. Ask your entire church to pray for them. You think God is not going to listen to your prayers? That's the simplest thing you can do. And we need to really find ways to interact with them. Interacting with Muslims, the beauty about it is they challenge you about what you believe in. And it teaches you to dig deeper into theological matters that you never thought about. Or if you feel like you're incapable, in your mind at least, because you have the Holy Spirit who is more than capable, that's fine. Connect him with others. Uh, Go to resources like the ones that I have, you know, or others, you know. But be gentle with them. But don't tell me I love them that I don't want to hurt their feelings because my respond back to you would be, you love them all the way to hell. How will they be saved just by loving them without hearing the word of God? These are prime times right now. Muslims are disillusioned about Islam because of everything that is happening. So we need to pray for spiritual awakening, for the Holy Spirit work to even be amplified, and for them actually to begin to seek the truth openly. 
We need to pray also for the believers who feel persecuted sometimes and for the right reasons to be protected, to trust in the Lord, and realize that God placed them there for a time as this. If you will come to vomradio.net, we will give you a link to Al-Fadi's website, and you can learn more about his ministry. You can watch some of these videos that he's talked about, sharing his testimony, sharing about the gospel with Muslims. Al-Fadi, thank you for being our guest on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you for your ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, brother. I'm honored and humbled to be here. This is the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. I'm Todd Nettleton. As always, if you're just joining us, you can go to vomradio.net. You can listen to our whole conversation with Al-Fadi again. You can also share this conversation with your Christian friends who would be encouraged by it, or you might even share it with Muslim friends who might be interested to hear Al-Fadi's story and his testimony. So come and visit us at vomradio.net. Do you know that you can get involved in the life of a widow, an orphan, or an underprivileged young person around the world? Next week, Ben Foley will tell you how you can serve them. Please be back to join us right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.